My name is Chris Croner, and I'm on the media team here at King's Cross Church. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are brand new, I hope at some point maybe you'll fill out a connection card. There should be one in a seat back uh, in front of you or close by you. Drop by the welcome desk on your way out. We have a little gift for you just to thank you for being with us. Or you can just put it in the box there between the doors if you'd rather remain anonymous. That's okay too. Um, if it's not your first time, can I encourage you, if you see somebody you don't recognize, go up and say hello. Um, I, I met uh, 14 first-time guests in the lobby between services. Right? Please don't assume that the person next to you, um, you know, has been here because they may, they may not have. God's always working. So uh, if you are joining us for the first time, it's a really good morning to be here because the passage that we're going to look at this morning really goes to the heart of what it is that we believe and who it is that we are as a faith family. You may have noticed on your way in in the lobby um, over on this side, we, we've got three goals there that we have for everybody who's at King's Cross. We want you to grow in the gospel. We want you to be connected in community and we want to come alongside you and help you um, be equipped to and have a heart for living your life on mission. And we talk about them in that order because growing in the gospel is the most important of the three. And so we want everybody who's at King's Cross to know Christ. If you, if you don't know him yet in a saving way, we want you to come to know Christ. But if you do, we want you to know him more and more and more as the years go by. We want you to be developing spiritual habits so that you're going deeper in your walk with the Lord at times and at places other than just when we gather here on Sunday mornings. And we want you to be committed to these worship services because not only do we believe, most importantly, that God is worthy of our worship, but he's commanded us to worship. And we experience him in a different way when we're gathered together. So we're passionate about these things because we just believe that the good news of the gospel of God in Jesus Christ, his son, is the defining truth in all creation. It explains why there's something instead of nothing. It explains what's wrong with the world. It explains to us God's plan to redeem and restore all things to their original purpose in Christ. It even can explain your place in that story. And so when it comes to faith and Christianity and the Bible, you don't have to know everything. But it is critical that you understand a few big things. And understanding how it is that you can be reconciled to God is at the top of that list. So we've been in this year-long uh, study through the Bible from beginning to end called The Story. And we're not quite at the end, but you know we've turned the corner into November now. So we can kind of see the end from here, right? And this morning we've arrived at um, what I think is the greatest theological treatise ever written. It's the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And Lord willing, at some point in our life together as a faith family, we'll kind of walk through this book verse by verse. But this morning, what we're going to focus in on is what I believe is the thesis statement of the book. It comes in chapter 1, it's verses 16 and 17. They say this. It's the Apostle Paul writing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then the rest of the book just unpacks basically that thesis statement. And so this morning we're just going to focus on those two verses and, and the four grand, sweeping, majestic, divine truths that they contain. And my prayer as I prepared this week is that it'll just whet your spiritual appetite enough that your desire to grow in the gospel will either you know, maybe be ignited for the first time or, or fanned into flame even more if it's already kind of lit inside of you as we consider these things together. So when we use the word gospel, that word just means good news. It's a Greek word, euangelion, and it described a message that was being proclaimed. And so if you were alive in the first century, you know, around Jesus' time, you might have heard a euangelion about uh, some great battle that a Roman general somewhere fighting in a war had won. Or maybe you would have heard a euangelion about uh, a, a new uh, emperor that had been born, or maybe um, there was a new one crowned in Rome. Th these were messages, gospels, that were proclaimed. When Christians use the word gospel, we, we really mean the entirety of the message about God's plan to redeem and restore all things through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, rule, reign, and return of King Jesus. And sometimes we say gospel, it may be as, as simple as saying Jesus died for our sins, but it, it could be as complex as literally every word of the entire Bible. And so it is the good news that you can be reconciled to God, forgiven of your sins, and inherit eternal life by God's grace through faith in what Jesus has already done in your place as your substitute. It's the good news that we preach about every week, that we sing about, that we pray about, that we teach about. And this is the, the very heart of what it is to be a Christian. And here's what Paul says of this gospel message, of this good news in Romans, well, in 1, 16, 17. First, he says that the gospel is good news that turns shame into joy. Turns shame to joy. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He wasn't going to be shut down in talking about it. He, he wasn't ashamed of the message that he was proclaiming. If you know something of the Apostle Paul's life, he had a rough go of it once he started sharing this message with people. Listen to him describe in his letter to the church, church in Corinth what he had suffered because of his commitment to the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of. Or they, you know, people um, made fun of Paul. They kind of lobbed accusations at him. And, and he's playing that up a little bit rhetorically here in the first part of this passage. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. But with far greater labors and far more imprisonments, 
but he wasn't ashamed. With countless beatings, not ashamed. Often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Not ashamed. Three times I was beaten with rods, not ashamed. Once I was stoned, but not ashamed. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, but never ashamed. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, but not ashamed. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? I'm all those things, Paul says, but I'm not ashamed. The shameful things were done to Paul. And if you're a Christian, shameful things are going to be done to you as well. If you live long enough, that's going to happen. But those shameful things that other people did to Paul, the other accusations that they leveled at Paul, the other things that they subjected him to, that those shameful things did not cause him to be ashamed. Because his joy wasn't found in people's opinions of him wasn't found in his circumstances or even in the likelihood that he would live to see tomorrow. His joy was in Christ and in the gospel of Christ. And that gospel was good news that turned all those shameful things to joy in his life. If you are a Christian, that is true of your past. Like the gospel explains that Jesus died for, that he paid in full the price that God the Father demanded for every shameful, sinful thing you've ever done. From the smallest little white lie to the most grotesque, wretched moment of your entire life. And he did so so that you could be freed from the shame of it all. Jesus took the shame into himself on the cross so that you could be freed from it and not be ashamed. The hymn, oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It's also true of your future. Because if and when you feel tempted to feel shame, when others behave shamefully, towards you, when they lob shameful things at you, and they treat you that way, your heart, um, rather than, than running to a place of being ashamed and shutting down, your heart remembers the gospel. You remember perhaps the encouragement of Hebrews 12 too, and you look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. There was no more shameful means to execute a human being that's ever been devised in the history of the world than the Roman cross. 
And when they did that to Jesus, it was for him joy. If your past has been redeemed and your future is assured, there's nothing else but joy. What are they going to throw at you? What are they going to accuse you of? How can they shut you down? If you're a Christian, you've already won because Christ has won. What, what is there for you to be ashamed of? The gospel is good news that changes shame to joy. Paul continues and he says, second, that the gospel is good news that keeps saving the saved. Keeps saving the saved. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. The reason he's not ashamed is because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There's a whole sermon in that last phrase to the Jew first and also the Greek. We don't have time to dive into it, but I don't want you to be distracted by it. So let me just um, kind of hit that quickly. The, the gospel of God came to the world through the Jews. Right? God chose them to be his covenant people. We spent some time talking about that back at the first part of the year. And through them would come first the law through Moses and then grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that they're now, by faith, the Gentiles, everybody who's not ethnically Jewish, can be grafted into the covenant promises of God by faith, by God's grace. So there's this order in the unfolding mystery of God's redemptive plan, first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. You tracking? And when he says Greeks, what he means is everybody who's Gentile, who's not ethnically Jewish. So he's just repeating there and clarifying what he means when he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. He's saying, when I say everyone, I mean everyone. In the Greek, everyone means everyone. You with me? Okay. What's interesting about that statement, it's got to be sure, we're, like we're wading out into deeper water. What's interesting about this statement is that the and we don't do a lot of grammatical rabbit holes at King's Cross, but bear with me. The, the, the tense of the verb believes there is active and present. And so if you were going to translate it a little more literally, what it would say is that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who is believing. He, he's saying the gospel saves believers. He's saying the gospel is good news that keeps saving the saved. And if you were reading through this this week in your devotional plan, maybe that makes sense to you because if you just back up one verse in verse 15, Paul says to the church, to the believers in Rome, to whom he's written the letter, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. He's eager to preach to the church. And this is what I do every Sunday morning. I'm eager to preach the gospel to those of you in the room who are believers and those of you who are in the room who are not believers. And so, yes, surely the gospel is the message of good news about Jesus that non-believers must come to believe so that they can be saved. Yes. And it is also the message of good news about Jesus that believers continue to believe so that they might be saved. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says it this way. 
Again, he's writing to believers, to the church in Corinth. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. That's past tense. You have received the gospel, believed that you have already been saved, in which you stand. That's present tense. You're standing in it. You're living by it. You're believing in the gospel actively now, verse 2, and by which you are being saved. That's future tense. It's ongoing. It's a future grace that you will receive when the Lord returns or calls you home, whichever one comes first. And your salvation is made complete in that moment. If, he says, you hold fast to the word I preach to you, Unless you believed in vain. What word did he preach? The gospel. He's saying the gospel has saved you, it is saving you, and it's going to save you. It keeps saving the saved. The theological words that we use to describe those realities are justification. Justification is what happens to you when you first repent and believe, and God forgives you by his grace through your faith, and he declares you to be righteous. He justifies you, like forensically. Sanctification is the present tense process, this ongoing process of you being conformed into the image of Christ as you increasingly live like what God already declared you to be. And then glorification is when you finally fully become and fully experience all of those realities, again, when the Lord either returns or calls you home, and, and you step into the fullness of what he declared you to be and what he's been making you to be your whole life. You tracking? Paul says all of that's the gospel. It's all the gospel, past, present, and future. Hear me, King's Cross. We never outgrow the gospel. Like you never stop needing the gospel. You never go deeper than the gospel. Don't feel like you get to a point where you say, well, that I, I understand all that. Just move on past that into some deeper water. There is no deeper water. Pastor J.D. Greer in Raleigh says the gospel is not the diving board, it's the pool. It's just all of it. This is the fullness of God's message. It's the good news that keeps saving the saved. Because the final triumph of the gospel, the final chapter in the story of the gospel is believers being brought safely home into the eternal presence and joy and glory of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in the new heavens and the new earth. That's where the gospel reaches its fullness. It's good news that keeps saving the saved. Third, Paul says the gospel is good news that manifests God's righteousness. Manifests God's righteousness. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. He's saying in the gospel the righteousness of God is Revealed, it is made manifest, it's displayed in, it's made available by the gospel. I'll tell you that this is one of the highest peaks in the theological mountain range that is the Bible. 
When you start thinking and talking and, and reading and teaching and meditating on the righteousness of God, you are up in thin air. How does the gospel manifest God's righteousness? My guess is it does so in a nearly infinite number of ways, but scholars agree that Paul is talking about at least three ways that that's true here in Romans 1.17. First, the righteous, righteousness as an attribute of who God is is manifest in the gospel. But just righteousness as, the, 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 as it pertains to being an attribute of God the Father is manifest in the gospel. Let me give you just one example. In order for God to be just, he must punish sin. Fair? You can't have righteousness without justice. And so if God were to just say, you know what? It's okay. Don't worry about it. You're good. Don't worry about that murder. Don't worry about that lie. Don't worry about that rape, that gossip, that slander, that genocide. It's okay. Hey, man, we all slip up. Just come on in. There's no justice in that. You might like that for you, but you don't want it for the people who've done those things to you. There's, there's no justice in that. And if there is no justice, then God is not just. But he doesn't say that. Rather, on the cross, he pours out the fullness of divine wrath over sin, the fullness of his justice onto his son. And so he isn't just looking the other way. He is, he is metting out the fullness of divine justice on Jesus on the cross. And yet, if you know the story, then you know back in the Old Testament, God made promises that he was going to save people. He, he said, if you trusted in his promises, that he would save you. And he, he made a covenant with Adam and, and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. And like there are these promises. And so if God is going to be faithful to his own promises, and, and you cannot have righteousness without faithfulness, if he's going to be faithful to his own promises, then he has to have a way to reconcile sinners to himself. This is why the resurrection matters so much, because in it God proves that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all those who would ever turn to him in faith. And so now, in the death and resurrection of Christ, God the Father can be both just and faithful without violating either of his character traits. That's just one example of the way that, that God maintains that he manifests his righteousness while making those who are not righteous to be so. Thus we can say, in that sense, the gospel is good news that manifests God's righteousness. But also, second, we could say that the righteousness of God as a status given to believers, is manifest in the gospel. His own attribute and character, but also the, the status of righteousness that he gives to believers. And so Romans 3.10 says in part, no one is righteous, no, not one. In the Greek, no one means no one. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. Nobody is. Doesn't matter how much money you've given away. Doesn't matter how many good things you've done. Nobody. 
Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means all. Everybody. Your own experience would tell you this, would it not? None of you would claim to be perfect. You don't even know anybody who's in their right mind who would claim to be perfect. Like no person would say, I've never done anything wrong. And every time there was an opportunity for me to do something right, I took full advantage of it and did it as best as I possibly could. No, no, that is not, nobody would say that. And yet, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, for our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, how's that? How can sinful people who are not holy, who are not perfect, who are not righteous, become the righteousness of God? You are either righteous or you're not. Or you're not sort of righteous. You're not sort of pregnant. You're either perfect and holy and righteous or you aren't. And so how can that be? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. So too, if we go back to Romans 3 and 23 again, but this time add verse 24. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is gift righteousness. The righteousness of God imputed on Believers, we become righteous by declaration. Our status is changed from those who are unrighteous on our own to those who are righteous in Christ. The gospel tells us that the righteousness of God is manifest in the life of unrighteous people like me, like you. When we are declared to be something that we cannot become on our own. Our status before a holy and righteous God is changed. So in that sense, we can safely say that the gospel is good news that manifests the righteousness of God and that it, it brings about a status change for all those who believe. And one more, third, we can say that the righteousness of God is manifest in the gospel because it, it, it is done so by his action, by his activity. In other words, righteousness, it, it, it's more than just the intrinsic attribute of God, or, or, and it's more than just the forensic status conveyed to believers by God. It is also a way to describe the activity and the work of God in giving the gift of righteousness in saving all those who believe. Back to Romans 3 again, this time verse 25 and 26. It says that God the Father put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood. That's just a fancy word that means um, atoning sacrifice. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. That's active, Yes? This is an action that God is taking. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the act of justifying believers. 
of the one who has faith in Christ. So yes, the righteous nature and character of God are revealed in, manifest by the gospel. And the righteousness of God is manifest in the spiritual status of believers. And the righteousness of God is manifest in the saving action of God to accomplish in reality what he already declared to be true. We're out in deep water. You with me? His character. He is righteous. His action. He makes believers righteous and therefore your status. If you are a believer, you are righteous. Here's an easier way to say it. In the gospel, God gives to you what he demands from you. In the gospel, God gives to you righteousness, what he demands from you. Righteousness, perfection, holiness, purity, blamelessness. So when he says, be holy for your Father in heaven is holy, and you're thinking, I'm not holy. How could I ever be holy? You can't put the milk sin back in the carton of my life. Well, this is how, because in the gospel, God gives to you what he demands from you. Theological deep breath. Fourth. (laughs) Look, I'm aware um, that some of you are like me. You're kind of, um, you nerd out theologically. And this stuff just like rings all your bells. And you feel like, man, I just wish we could just sit in this. Let's make these two verses like a 10-week series. And this is just awesome. We'll go as deep as we can. And then I know others of you are kind of tempted to glaze over a little bit. And you, and you feel like, man, two verses. Sometimes we cover like six chapters. And, you know, just tell me what to do this afternoon. And, you know, like, here, let me remind you of what I said up, up front, right? Like, you don't have to know everything. But there's a few things you should really And how it is that God the Father makes unrighteous people righteous is one of those few things. And I'm just praying that the Spirit would make you lean in. Right? Like, like you just, if there's a few things to meditate on, this is one of them. How does the gospel save? Really matters. Fourth, Paul says the gospel is good news that you receive by faith that you receive by faith. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the the way that it saves is that in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that last little part, he's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. And... um, the, a little more literal translation there would be those who are righteous by faith shall live. So he, he isn't so much talking about, although this is true, the way you go about your day-to-day life is by faith, yes and amen. But what Paul's saying is the people who are going to live are the people who are righteous by faith. 
That's the part of the gospel that he's after here, right? And his point is that all of these glorious, wonderful, awesome realities are available to everyone by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you've been saved through faith. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Mark 1, Mark says in verses 14 to 15 that Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So he's saying Jesus preached the gospel and here's what he preached. And then he quotes what Jesus was teaching. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's just good news that you receive by faith. And so if you're already a Christian, like please hear me, don't ever outgrow the gospel. You're not going to move on from it. But also don't let anyone make you ashamed of who God says you are or of the message that can, that can bring about their salvation too. Like don't... don't don't let them shut you down because of that. Jesus has overcome the world and sin and Satan and death. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So there's no need for you to be ashamed. Rather, commit yourself to growing in the gospel every day. Just, like, just lean in more. We'd love to talk with you about how to do that. If you're like, well, hey, I'd, I'd love to do this, but I'm not sure how. Talk to us. We'll, we'll help you. We'll get you plugged into the right places so that you can grow. But if you're not a Christian yet, would you receive this good news by faith today? The Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If, he says, we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to make the unrighteous righteous. My question would be, why not do that right now? This morning, right here. Like, the promise of Scripture is that you can cross over from death to life, from unrighteousness to righteousness. All you have to do is receive it by faith. You don't go away and get your life cleaned up and then come to God. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that everyone who believes can be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord can be saved. If you've never done that, I'd love to give you an opportunity to do so now. I'll give you an example of the type of thing that you can pray, the way that you say, well, I don't even really know what receiving faith looks like. What does that look like? I'll give you an example. And you can just pray something like what I'm about to pray. And Scripture says if you do that, then you are declared righteous in that moment. You spend the rest of your life becoming what God has already declared you to be, and one day you'll step into it fully. So when we bow our heads, if you're a Christian, can I encourage you, maybe you just take this time and and ask God to fan into flame 
your passion for the gospel. These things have become increasingly rooted in your heart. That every day you would bring them to mind. That you would just be reminded of who you are and that you would live in response to that. But ask for his help in that. It's hard. Our hearts are prone to wander. We, just, we need to be tethered to the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for those who are believing. If you're not a Christian yet, and maybe there are some things that you don't understand yet, but maybe for the first time this morning you understand this one thing, that, that the way that you can be made right with God and reconciled to him is by faith alone. There are no magical words you have to say for that to happen, but maybe you could pray something like this. Father, I recognize that I've sinned and fallen short of your glory. Probably in more ways than I can imagine. I ask your forgiveness for that. But I'm done trying to be right and righteous on my own and I ask that you would just make me that. My faith is no longer in me, it's in Jesus. You pray something like that, Scripture promises that God is faithful and just to forgive you. We'd love to come alongside you and help you learn how to take your next steps. Maybe grab me or Pastor Josh after the service. We'd love to talk with you more about that. Father, would you take these things, these impressions that the Spirit's giving us, these thoughts that we have, would you seal them on our heart that we might not leave here and leave them behind us. We might take them with us. In Christ's name, amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.